what it would be like if God's spirit really, really moved amongst us. And so it was great to hear some of those stories that <clears throat> were read about how um, the God really moved in times gone past and revival times and broke into people's lives and stuff. And I always get, uh, I always get uh, shivers in the back of my head, back of my head, back of my neck when, um, um, when I when I hear the stories of revival, you know, because I, I just long for that day. I long for that day when, as we heard last week, you know, that all boys in their classrooms get convicted by the power of God and the presence of God and, and uh, lead whole cities into salvation and the move of the Spirit. And, and I suppose as we, uh, you know, th- this series is coming out of a place where as a leadership across the church as we sense an impetus of the Spirit, uh, 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 we're becoming aware of the sound of rain that is is coming and um and we sense that it's really important therefore to get our hearts right i think part of the reason that <coughs> we are called to lead and what leadership has to do um humbly but um kind of assertively is to discern the movements of god and to prepare the people for what god wants to do and so i think we feel that we are to prepare ourselves for the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, and we need to learn how to decrease in order that he might increase. Uh, we need to recognize that when God <coughs> intensifies, <coughs> excuse me, when God intensifies his presence amongst us, there needs to be a change in us. There will be a change in us. Some of the things that we've accommodated, you know, personally, I'm talking out of personal here, some of the things that we've accommodated in our lives, we can't anymore. They, they have to go on the, on the altar because if the fire is going to come, there needs to be something to burn up. There needs to be something on the altar. And so as we pursue holiness, there's a sense of fresh consecration, fresh set-apartness for the Lord and for his ways. And uh, over the next week, why don't we want to explain and teach a little bit more about what true biblical holiness is all about. It's not necessarily the fuddy-duddy kind of wooden thing that we've been brought up thinking that holiness really is. If we've been brought up in the church, holiness is connecting with the beauty and splendor and the love of who God is revealed in Jesus. And we get to be part of that. And so we'll be teaching more on that. But I want to just unpack a little bit more today of the privilege that we have to have a God and a maker who wants to show us his face. Who wants us to know his face. This is our kind of signature verse for this series. It is, um, there we go, with we, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory or beholding the Lord's glory or being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. We all with unveiled faces beholding the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Beautiful, beautiful scripture. And so central to the promise of being changed and transformed into Christ-likeness is seeing Christ, is seeing Jesus, is beholding his glory. The beholding of his glory is what the scriptures encourage us to do if we want to be like him. And Chris pointed out last week how people like Moses and Isaiah were so intent on holiness, were so intent on becoming like God because they had had a revelation of God. Interesting. And so the thing I've been thinking about recently is how we can't really make ourselves holy. This this is what I've been thinking about. We can't really make ourselves holy. We, We when we, when we try to make ourselves holy, what we're really trying to do is to make ourselves good. And for a start, good is kind of up for grabs in a postmodern society anyway, so we're not quite sure what good is. But the other question you have to ask yourself is if you're just trying to be good or a gooder, which is a, like a Lurgan kind of made-up statement, that word. If you're just trying to be gooder or better, what are you actually judging yourself against anyway? Usually the answer to that question is you're judging yourself against somebody else. Well, I'm good or I'm gooder than other people. And before you know it, you end up becoming a bit of a Pharisee because you've judged yourself against other people. We, we can't make ourselves good. We can't make ourselves holy. How do we become holy? Well, if we're supposed to become like Jesus who is holy, we need to see what, or rather, more accurately, we need to see who we're supposed to become. 
We need to have a glimpse of who we're supposed to become. We need to have a vision, an awareness, a sight of who we are becoming. We need to see a glimpse of Jesus. We can't be transformed into Christ-likeness without seeing Christ. We can't become a holy person without seeing the, the essence of holiness himself. And this is what this verse, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, which you read, is alluding to. Being able to see Jesus, being able to behold his glory, to fix our eyes upon him, to pay attention and observe with care the beauty of the Lord, our maker. And if we don't see Jesus, we'll not be transformed into his likeness, but we will be transformed into the things that we do see. Remember, we keep saying this, you are, you become what you worship. Whatever your heart is tethered to the most, you will become that person. You will be shaped into the image of what your eyes see mostly and what especially the eyes of your heart see. And so I'm really captivated at the moment for my life, but also for us as a church. I'm really captivated about us getting a fresh glimpse of God. This is kind of my heart yearning. This is my heart's desire that we as a people would get a fresh glimpse of Jesus that we'd see him in his beauty, in his holiness, in his splendor. We'd get a glimpse of him and that we'd start and want to be changed because we can preach up here that we're blue in the face. We can make ourselves believe what the right thing to do is, but unless we see him, unless we learn how to adore him, unless our eyes get a fresh glimpse of his beauty, we're just trying to be gooder. And I'm tired of that. I, I just want to see Jesus, yeah? And so like Peter and James and John who were brought up with Jesus, a mountain, and on that mountain, they watched and got a glimpse of Jesus in his holiness. <clears throat> and they worshipped him. And the lovely little verse at the end says, um, when everything else, came, when Moses and Elijah appeared, and then it says, they saw no one but Jesus. So I would love to ask you, like I'm asking myself at the minute, what does it look like to see, to see nothing else but Jesus? Like I'm not saying that means we don't care about anything else, but what if Jesus became our obsession? What if Jesus became the thing and the person that we wanted to adore more than anything else? And I feel the Lord's reminding me about how much he wants me to look upon him. And it's not because God's insecure. God's not a, a big needy being up there in heaven and goes, would you look at me to make me feel better about myself because I feel like slightly neglected or something, right? God's not like that. He's perfectly secure in who he is. He's the essence of love himself. But here's what I want to try and, try and explain to you this morning. I am not, and you are not, God's invention. Right? He just didn't invent you. You're God's creation. I'm not very good with... Uh, like practically with my hands that way, making things, right? So I don't really have a really good example to give you of anything I've ever invented, okay? Um, but, <clears throat> but I could understand if you were good like that and you invented something, you'd feel rather pleased and proud of it, right? Um, but I can imagine, for those of you who have had the privilege of having children, I can imagine that anything you've ever invented peeled into insignificance, when you had your own creation. Because they're a part of you. They were formed out of you. You're not God's invention. Nobody is. You are formed out of God's very character. That's what it means to be an image bearer of God. And so God wants me to look at him because he is the source of all goodness. He is the origin of all love. The fundamental nature of how I'm put together is created out of God himself. And so he wants me to be true to who I was created to be. He wants me to flourish into all I was created to be. And I can only flourish into who I'm created to be if I see the one. If I get a glimpse of the one who created me in his image in the first place. Seeing him and receiving the light from his face into the very core of who I am, starts to change and transform me. And uh, just to help us not think that this is all kind of mystical and, 
all of that. It's not unlike the natural when a parent looks into the looks into the face of a child. God who created the family unit as a reflect, reflect, reflection of how he looks at us as children. Um, he, he's given us in a very natural way with children and parents a way of understanding how our identity is shaped and nurtured. I'm going to put a quote up. It's quite long, so I'm going to take my time, okay, as I read it through. It's from a guy called Hans von Balthasar. It's just a great name to say, all right? And this, this is what he says. This is his analogy. Now, let me just read this slowly because I think it might really help us to understand what we're trying to get at this morning. After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives her child's smile in response. She has awakened love in the heart of her child. And as the child awakens to love, it also awakens to knowledge. The initial empty sense impressions, so those kind of little looks that the child gives that we're not quite sure what's going on, the initial empty sense impressions, they start to gather meaningfully around the core of the thy, the one who's looking into their face. Knowledge, so knowledge comes with, the, with its whole complex of intuition, so what we know intu- intuitively and the concepts that we start to create in our mind. Knowledge comes into play. Why? Because the play of love has already begun beforehand. Initiated by the mother, the one who's transcendent to the child. God interprets himself to man as love in the same way. He radiates love, which kindles the light of love in the heart of man. And it is precisely this light that allows man to perceive this. The absolute love. So for it is God who said that light shine out of darkness... He has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How do we know the glory of God? In the face, in the face of Jesus. In his, in his face or in this face, now listen to this, the primal foundation of, uh, foundation of being, I love that, the primal, the original foundation of being, existing itself is God, smiles at us. Now just think about that for a moment. The very essence, primal foundation of why there is existence in the first place, at the core of that, is not a scientist, like a mega scientist up there, like, you know, like some eccentric kind of God. It's not a cosmic kind of killjoy that's looking down in heaven, seeing how he can just get people to keep the rules and like whack them if they don't. At the, the very primal foundation of being is a smile. You, you, can, you can smile back now, right? It's a, it's a smile. Smiles at us as a mother and as a father. Insofar as we are his creatures, the seed of love lies dormant within us as the image of God. So even people that don't know Jesus, we can see the image of God. And while they need to know that they're sinners, right, who need a savior, they do need to know that because that's the essence of the gospel. They kinda, they, what they also need to realize is, and what we need to realize is, there's, there's no lost causes. There's no lost causes because within them lies the seed of love. And it's lying dormant. But the love of God can awaken that seed. It can awaken the very, the very core of who they are, which is to be an image bearer in God. But just as no child can be awakened to love without being loved, so too no human heart can come to an understanding of God without the free gift of His grace in the image of a son. Powerful words. The, the primal foundation of being God smiles at us, awakens us to love, and awakens us to rediscover, right? Awakens us to rediscover what we originally tended to be, which was human beings that shine Right? We're, we shine because God shines on us with his favor and smile. That we're formed into his likeness because there's a loving God whose face is towards us and his love radiates towards us. And as we receive that love, we're changed and transformed into his likeness to actually shine that light in the world around us. So we are formed into his image 
so that our vocation to fulfill the commission of humanity itself and the church, specifically in these days, is to be distinct ones, not because we're cleverer, more intelligent, more wealthy, or any of that, but because the light of God's face, we've received the smile of heaven. And it's changed us and it's transformed us. This is what some people call theology of delight. <clears throat> and this is all confirmed, by the way, in the natural these days by psychologists and social workers and all of that who tell us these amazing things that when we smile into the face of our children, the neurons fire between our brains and their brains through the smile that we give them and they're shaped and changed and, and, and loved into who they become. And unfortunately, negatively, that's the case as well. All that research that was done in the breakdown of communism in Romania all those years ago, where they found all those poor little children, orphans, living, just thousands of them, crammed into homes, nobody ever looking into their face. And they grew up disconnected, unable to have, unable to love and receive love unable to engage with the world around them because something that was supposed to be stimulated didn't. That's why neglect is such an awful thing. And um, if, you, if that triggers something in you this morning, God the Father's here this morning to smile on your face and to allow you to know something of his goodness. When we look into the face of God, we see who we're truly meant to be. Chris alluded to last week what, what we'll find out, and this is really important, so I do want to like not say this because it's really important. When we see God, we will have a moment, or we should have a moment, where we realize how sinful we are in light of His holiness. We will have a moment where we realize how self-centered we are. We will have a moment where we almost even feel unworthy because His beauty is so incredible that in light of this, we will feel not worthy like anybody who's seen the Lord through Scripture did. It was like they fell down as if they were going to die. But yet we also have, as Chris said as well last week, we also have an overwhelming sense of invitation into the love that is in front of us. We also are overwhelmingly accepted in this. And if we will surrender our hearts to God in this moment, the sin that we are feeling kind of gets transferred. And like Isaiah, as we read last week, where he saw the Lord, and it says the seraphim came and took a coal of fire, and he came and he touched Isaiah's lips. What actually happens is, in that moment, Isaiah is infected with holiness. The character of God moves through us, and he takes our sin. So he like extracts from us the poison of our sin and selfishness. And in, and in response, we get his holiness in our, in our lives. I love this scripture in the Psalms. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. All right? So when we look in the face of God, we become aware of our sinfulness. We become aware of our unworthiness. But yet his light overshadows our sinfulness it kind of absorbs our sinfulness if we will surrender it into itself because it's dealt with it and we don't have to feel shame because it's been, it's been removed and instead we have received the light of his face. And so this all happens, right? This all happens. My point I'm trying to get to today, well, I'm kind of repeating, <laughs> is that this is not just to try to be a good Christian. This is not simply about cleaning up your act. This is becoming like Jesus by worshiping adder and adoring his face. And you see, what happens is, if, if we just try to do the former, just try to be good, we, we end up just becoming a religious, religious. And the religious spirit tries to control things. It's built on the premise of control. But the Holy Spirit leads us to look at Jesus. And, and we are changed. Um, I said this last Sunday night. I love this quote of Tim Keller's. In religion, you obey it because God is useful. In Christianity, you obey because God is beautiful. You get a glimpse of something. 
you get a glimpse of his beauty and his holiness and his wonder. And we are, are changed into his likeness. And so I want to just take a bit more time this morning before we maybe finish with some prayer and stuff. I, I want to take a little bit more time to help you understand that I'm not making this up. The Bible actually talks a lot about the face of God. All right? You with me? Still with me? The face of God. There's something about the face of God that is important throughout the story of God. In the Old Testament, it's like God uh, is establishing a marker for this, particularly through the leadership of Moses. Moses is an incredible man, right? And uh, arguably the one who... Um, gives us a window into this understanding of the face of God more than anybody else. And God is putting a marker on his people, right? The the Exodus people that have come out of um, slavery through the Red Sea and they're in the wilderness and and God is teaching them to be a people. And God at this point is putting a mark. It's like God is putting a marker on his people. He's putting a, a marker that they will live and he wants them to live with the continuous influence of his face shining upon them. They were to receive something very, very, very personal from God, okay? The children of Israel. It was the face of God. It, and, and I think it, ref, it referred to these kind of things. It was, the, it was the substance of heaven, the fever and the smile of God. When, when, when they became aware of the face of God that was with them, it was peace and wholeness for flourishing and for witness to the world. They were, they were receiving something from God. Now, I find this pretty incredible, right? Because um, God in the Old Testament, particularly in the Exodus, like, is, like, he's doing the most incredible things. He comes down on a mountain in fire. It really blows a mountain up, okay? And there's fire coming down and there's a cloud of glory. The people don't go near the cloud because it's so holy and so awesome. They say they're not even allowed their animals to go close to the mountains because if their animals go close to the mountains, they'll get pretty much frazzled or something, it seems to imply. And so God is like demonstrating mighty acts. Remember, he's just split the Red Sea. He's just allowed the 10 plagues. There are all these big, massive demonstrations of power. The Israelites are waking up one morning and there's just like manna on the ground for them to eat and there's water flowing out of rocks for them to drink from. There are all these acts of power. So I would probably be more concerned or more obsessed with those. And yet, it seems to be throughout the Old Testament that the Israelites are able to understand there's something beyond these acts of power, or some of them anyway. There's something about these acts of power that we need to get beyond because God wants us to see his face. He wants us to realize that in, in the fire, which it says in the Bible, is his face a really personal way. And as Chris alluded to last week, it was like God said, nobody can see my, there is a point where Moses is trying to like test God and he says, God, can I see your glory? And God says, well, nobody can see my face and live. Now, what I think that means is that nobody could see God in his total purity or in his total majesty. Nobody could see that or they would would die. But at the same time, God wants to know, wants the people to know how intimate he wants them to know him. And so he'll allow language like this to be used. Moses said, the Lord spoke to you, look, face to face out of the fire. So like, imagine we're all round sleeved honored, right? And the thing is on fire. And we're, we're thinking it's like one of those apocalyptic movies or something that you watch. But God has come down. <laughs> and yet, in the midst of these acts of power, they knew they needed to get beyond the acts of power to know that God was saying something very deep and very personal to them. And so God wants them to know that he speaks to them face to face. And it seems that some of the Israelites started to understand this, some of them anyway. They began, to get, they began to realize that this God was not just another God to make with their own hands, another idol to worship, but this was a God who was beyond form, who was beyond formula, a God who was other, outside of them, God who was spirit. He wasn't like them, but yet he wanted to talk to them face to face in a very personal way. It's kind of paradoxical, but that's the tension that we have to hold. God was other. He wasn't human. He was spirit. He was doing these mighty acts of power, but yet he wants to speak to us more personally than we'd speak to the person sitting beside us right now, face to face. And the Israelites started to realize that this was God's blessing on them. And so they would bless one another in numbers. They would say this. this is a, pray this over my kids. Try and do this every single night. 
try to say, you know, Lord, you know, the Lord make your, His face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance or smile upon you and give you peace. The Lord lift up His countenance. They started to realize there was something about the countenance of God. It wasn't like just removed up on that mountain, but it was coming really, 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 really close. And I don't know about you, but I want my kids, I want my kids to grow up with a holy awe and reverence for God. But I want them to know, and I want them to know that in light of that holiness, they're sinners. And they're selfish. <laughs> and 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 then and they need to say sorry. And they need to do something about that. But you know what? I want that all to be wrapped up in an understanding of a God who smiles at them and awakens love in their hearts. And so that's why they would bless and pray for one another, right? And, and they would pray this blessing that the Lord make His face shine on you. It doesn't say, may the Lord make you a really good person who goes to church. It doesn't say that. May the Lord make His face shine shine on you, the, the light of his face. And they seemed to realize that every source of blessing that was in their life, they recognized that in the midst of this powerful, almost scurry fire, that within the midst of it, it was a loving smile. I remember when Annie was younger, like feeling this really intensely. As you know, I have a propensity to be intense, all right? But um, at, at the time, I was kind of thinking, you know, I just want to like look into her face and she knows that she's loved him. So one night I was praying for her. I thought she was like half sleeping. And uh, I was just like staring into her face and I was kind of like praying for her. And like she opened her eyes. She's like, Daddy, what are you doing? <laughs> like, your eyes are really big right now. <laughs> it's like completely freaking her out. But anyway, the, the, the desire of my heart was good, right? You want, you, want, you want them to know the face of God shining on them and the face of God shines on us. And, and, and they came to realize that anything, like some of them didn't, but particularly, particularly some of those who were inspired to write these brilliant psalms, poems, new songs, and hymns. And they said this in Psalm 44, when they were retelling their story, like, let's look at how central the face of God is. We have heard it with our ears. We have heard it with our ears, our God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days long ago. So this is back to the time of Moses and stuff. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. Look, it was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and what? The light of your face. It's the light of your face. It's not that we were like the best army in the world. It's not like our swords and all the things that look really, really impressive that made us succeed or made us flourish. It was just the light of your face. That's the thing that made us distinct. And Ed came to know that any, any success in life was because of God's personal face position towards them. <clears throat> and they also came to know, and this is important, that further to that, they came to realize that this is what actually made them distinct. It marked them out from the other nations. The favor was for something, and you have to remember that. So I, I, my, one of my questions to you as, as we wrap this up in a few moments or so is, is can you believe that for yourself? Can you believe that the smile of God is on you? Can you believe his favor is positioned towards you? Can you believe that for yourself? And if you can, then you also have to remember that favor is for something. It's for somebody else as well. That you would carry that favor into the world in which we live. And that was what the children of Israel, that they would be blessed, know the favor, know the light of God's face, so that through their blessing, that blessing would be a, a blessing to the nations. And Moses was incredible at leading this. And I want to give you, uh, um, I want to give you one more example before I make some practical points and then maybe we'll pray. Moses, God tells us in Numbers, God told the people when some of them, I think it was when they were questioning Moses' leadership, they were like, here, guys, he's the one I talk to face to face, not in riddles. He sees a form of God. And Moses has this encounter. It's like, it's like a game of deal or no deal. Who likes that? A wee bit of daytime TV if you're, like, you know, sneaking off work or something, right? 
Um, but it's like God and Moses have a game of reverential deal or no deal, right? And what has happened at this particular point is that they go toe-to-toe. It's a bit of a standoff. It's intense, but it's beautiful. And God has just spent time with Moses up the mountain. I think he's given them. He's told the people of Israel he wants them to be a treasured possession, kings and priests, a holy nation, all of this. He's set their love upon them. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's carried them like eagles' wings. He loves them so much. They're, they're his own property. They're his treasured possession. Moses comes up the mountains to receive the Ten Commandments and all of that and all of this amazing intimacy between God and Moses. And then Moses comes to come back down the mountain and he hears it says, he th- thinks it's the sound of war and he comes in and there's basically like a mass kind of orgy going on down below with all the people and they're worshiping a golden calf and Moses' heart is broken and he bro- the, 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 the commandments break and God's heart is ripped out of him as the people that he loved, that he rescued, have already decided to turn away and worship something else. And so God, it seems, is about to start all over again with another group of people, just like he had to do back with Noah and the flood. And this is what the Lord said to Moses. Tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I'll decide what to do with you. (laughs) It's like one of the parents, you know, go to your room. I don't think you're going to be able to go with us. And I just need to calm down that I decide what I'm going to do with you. Because you've, you've grieved my heart. You've grieved my heart so bad. And so Moses kind of goes out to meet with God. And uh, when he goes out to meet with God, this is what happens. He says to God, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. So God, Moses is kind of reminding God, remember you said that I had found favor with me and you knew my name. If you were pleased with me, teach me your ways so I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Remember, Lord, you said this, this is your people, Lord, and now you're thinking of not letting them, not going with them anymore. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. So God, so it's like the heart of the Father is like, you know, is it, somebody has stepped in, like the big brother of the family, you know, has stepped in and appealed to the heart of the parent. You remember what you said, God, these are the ones that you love. And the Lord replied, says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence, and I just want you to pay attention to that word, panim, it's a Hebrew word, right? If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If you're pre- it's like, no deal, God. <laughs> we're, we're not going unless you go with us. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else would distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face, right? So when it says on the face of the earth, just log that for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re- come back to it. Panim, right? Panim, the word for presence up there. And panim down here, the word for face, the same word. And so the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know your name. And then Moses is like, well, when I've got you where I want you, God, will you show me your glory? It's like, you know, not to be irreverent, but it's like, God, you've given me this. Uh, it's like a child. You've, you've given me this. Now can I have another packet of sweets as well? Can, can, I have, can I have more? Can I have even more? And that's where God says, you can't see my face and live. But what I, what I want to try and draw your attention to is God is saying, or Moses is saying, God, no day, we need your presence before we need anything else. Without your presence, we're nothing. Your presence actually is the point. And the thing I want you to notice is that the word for presence in the Hebrew is the same word often that's used for the word face. So when Moses is saying, God, we want your presence to go with us, what he's really saying is, God, we want your face. We want the very face of who you are. How personal is that? We don't want all the stuff that you're just going to do for us, all the provision you give us, as great as that is, but God, we want something beyond that. We want your face. You know, do you ever go to give your kids something and, 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 and you think it's going to be great and, and you, they, they run up the ticket out of your hand and you're kind of in your head, you're thinking it would be great to hit that long, lingering look where they really re- appreciate the fact that you love them and that you're doing this because you really love them and they just like take it and run away. 
And that you're, I, maybe I'm just like a big insecure freak, like, but I'm just like standing there going, oh, well, like, you could have like looked at me and said that you, you like that and that you love me because of that. You know what I mean? But, you know, you just feel a wee bit like hurt, even though they're kids and you love them, right? <laughs> it's, it's great. I've got over it. Somebody can pray for me afterwards, all right? <laughs> but, you know, we want something beyond that, God. We, we don't want just that. We're starting to realize, Moses, Moses is starting to realize, and he gets the attention of God. This is the stuff that gets the attention of God, and God is drawn to it because he's got a son who gets it. And Moses actually realized that all the provision is going to come from your face anyway. If we get that, we'll get everything that we need. Jürgen Moltmann says, just to emphasize, the face of God is a symbol for God's commitment, the attention with which he looks at us, his special presence. I don't know about you, but I just love that the closest metaphor or the closest word that we have for presence is face. We're not talking about some vague, theoretical, sort of like read it in a book, awareness of God. He couldn't, God couldn't have been any more personal or engaging or intimate. And the thing that I, I feel I, I really want to challenge us with today as we think about our lives and as we think about Portadown, Moses is contending for the face of God. He's contending for the face. God, we're not going to play a church. We're not going to just go. God had actually told him, if you read the passage, you can go in and have the land of promise, but I'm not going with you. And Moses is like, well, what's the point in that? Because there's no point in us having the promise. There's no point in us looking like Christian if we don't have the face, if we don't have your presence. Moses is contending for the face of God. We can't go anywhere without the light of your face. Moses isn't contending just to be a good person. Moses isn't even contending to get into heaven. Moses is contending for right now, God, where we are as a people, there is no point in us going on anywhere without us understanding the face of God, the light that shines from your face. There's, no, there's just no point in us leaving this place, so no deal. And God's heart is, God's heart is stirred. It's like Moses is saying, God, I know your deeds. I know you're powerful. We saw all these awesome acts of your right hand, but we want something more. It's your face and the blessing and sustenance and provision of your face. That's what we want. And God is undone. God is undone. I kind of think that this is one of those moments where all of the angels in heaven are like, shh, let's just be quiet because someone down there has just seriously got the attention of God. And his heart is like, his heart's engaged here. And theologians, theologians have wrestled with the scripture for years because it actually says at that point that God relented. Some, some translations say God changed his mind. Such, so much is God involved in this passage. Because there's a son who gets it. And so this is what I want to put before you today as we kind of draw this to conclusion in the last five minutes or so. So th th this is a bit of a preach, obviously, this morning, but it's a bit of a heart cry. Is that all right? This is, this is, this is, this is me preaching out of like, the depths of my heart and, and hopefully representing the leadership as I do this. That we as a church, this is, this is the we as a church would settle for nothing less than the face of God. And I just felt it was to challenge you like I have myself with that this morning. I felt like we need to respond to this this morning. That we would stand as a people and we would make God's face the one thing, the one thing that we desire. We don't want the formula, we want the face. We don't want the principles, we want the presence. We don't want the benefits of the kingdom, First and foremost, we want the king. We don't want the blessings from his hand. Just, we want the light of his face. Passionate lovers of God. And so, I feel like our love is to mature over the next wee while. God wants us to love him like he loves us. Now, that's an easy thing to say. But I find this really, really helpful. A.W. Tozer, who I always kind of find inspiring. He, he talks about three degrees of love, and I just this might be helpful for you to think about how your love could mature. 
He talks about there's three degrees of love. There's a love of gratitude. This is love which loves because of what it has received. We love him because he first loved us. So that's a good thing, the love out of gratitude. God has done lots of good things for us, and so we love him in return. But you could argue that this kind of love is borderline selfish. Because we're loving because there's a reason for our love, isn't there? And the reason for our love is that he's done so much for us. And, and we should love with gratitude. But we're loving for something we've received. And so while God's love is unconditional, we could say ours is slightly conditional. We're loving because God has done something for us. The love is roused from the benefits it's received. Then there's the love of adver- admiration. It is, it is a more elevated, elevated, purer type of love. We're not just loving God because of what he's done for us. We're loving him because we've been caught up with his beauty and his excellence. And we admire him. And as we get a glimpse of him, as, what I've, as I've been talking about, we, we love him because of that. And the level of selfishness that maybe is more connected to the love of gratitude has been reduced because we're just taken up with part of his beauty. But the thing to notice about both of these loves, Tozer argues, is that they both have a reason for why they love, which isn't bad. It's just worth noting. There's a reason for loving. But he goes on to argue that love can offer, love that can offer reasons for why it loves has not reached the state of perfect love. And perfect love is a place that we can get to in our walk with Jesus. And actually, we can do this in the natural as well. You know, you, <clears throat> you think of, um, of, you know, he gives the example in one of his books of a mother who has a, of a, a child who has just uh, not, not, not formed properly, let's just say it like that. Physically, mentally, psychologically, all of those things. And there is nothing in many ways that that child can give that mother back. But yet, the love that the mother has for that child becomes one with that child. And so there is no reasons, if any of you have ever got to the place where you've, you've loved somebody through sickness and suffering, when they get to the point where physically, emotionally, intellectually, there's nothing really that they can give you back. But you feel like you love them because you love them and you don't really have a reason other than I love you. That's, that's the way God loves us. And I think that God is calling us as a people in the context of wanting to pour out his spirit on this land, he wants to call us to be a people that love him like this. And he says this, there is a place in the religious experience where we love God for himself alone with never a thought of his benefits. There is in the higher type of love a super rational element that cannot and does not attempt to give reasons for its existence. It only whispers, I love. In the perfection of love, the heart does not reason from admiration to affection, but quickly rises to the height of blind adoration or reason. In other words, you can't explain it. Reason is suspended and the heart worships in unreasoning blessedness. It can only exclaim, holy, holy, holy while scarcely knowing what it means. Yeah. That's what I think the Lord's saying to me about how he wants me to love him in these days, and that's what I think the Lord's saying to us. We were made for face-to-face encounter. He wants to take us to this place. And so it encourages you to do these three things. It encourages you to, to refine your focus. What are you looking at? What are you looking at these days? Are you seeing Jesus? Have you had a glimpse of his glory and his beauty? Can you believe, can you come into agreement? Some of us need to work harder than this and others. And, and that's totally understandable because of, you know, maybe the way we've been brought up or upbringings or whatever, but we really struggle to believe that the light of, of God is is flowing out of the face of a father who's for us. Tozer also said, what comes into your head when you hear the name God is the most important thing about you. First and foremost, what comes into your head when you hear God? Can you come into agreement with the truth that there's a light that shines from his face, penetrate your soul? 
And there's a challenge to this too. What price are you willing to pay to refine your focus? What, what price are you willing to pay? What are, you, what are you prepared to give up so you can see more of his face? Secondly, receive the light of his face. And there's nothing too much more to say here other than receive. <laughs> it was just really hard. But just receive the light of his face. Get up in the morning, pour yourself a cup of coffee if you like that. And maybe, you know, read, read something from the Bible. But receive, receive the light of his face. You know, I sometimes imagine the, the brightness of the sun, but then I go beyond the sun because he's the one that made the sun. To think about the glory of Jesus and that almost in the midst of a light so bright that I can't look on it because it would blind me, somewhere in the midst of that, there's a smile. And it's a smile of God. And thirdly, remember the favor is for something. Go and give it away. Go and allow that light to shine into the hearts of others. And that's why we pray a blessing for the city. And we'll maybe do this in a moment or two when we, st- when we pray. That's why we pray a blessing over our city. Because what we're actually saying is, God, the light of your face is shining on us. Now that it shine in the shine in the Craig Avon. Let the favor of God be released. And uh, I just think that today and in the days ahead, God wants to release more of the light of his face. You know, the Bible says, out of his fullness we have received. Out of his fullness. God never runs empty. We do. We feel empty. This town feels empty. God wants to fill us up. Fill us up with the light of his face. And he wants to do that continually. And so I'd love us to do that this morning. That we would make a commitment. And I'd love us to stand in a moment and to pray this together. This is what the psalmist would say. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent. And he will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At this sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful me, to me and answer me. My heart, look, my heart says of you, seek his face. And the response, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face. Don't hide your face, God. We can't cope if you hide your face. Do not turn your servant away. You have been my helper. Me, Dossie would come. Would you stand with me for a moment? And what I'd love us to do is I'd love us to think about in these moments just receiving the light of God's face upon our lives. But I'd love us to maybe <clears throat> corporately, I'd love us to maybe corporately just say this together, if that's okay. Maybe not all of it. So um, we'll just, um, if we could, can you put that up again? Thanks. Back, sorry, back back to that um, script, scripture, if that's all right. Um, well, I'd love us to say just part of the one thing that God wants to say and, and do, just down to his temple, okay? Um, let's, just, let's just take a moment before we do, and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll lead us through that. Like, why don't we just, in our own hearts, maybe personally first, why don't we just receive, receive the light of God's face just upon our hearts and our lives, just open up your heart to him you know just allow your allow even maybe your <laughs> if, if you want to even allow your, your your head to lean back slightly and the bible says he's a lifter of our heads and and the reason that the lord lifts our heads you know he kind of you know sometimes you get the impression and maybe for some of you this morning the father puts his hand gently underneath our chins that are a little bit where our heads are down and he just wants to tilt them back ever so much so that we can have our faces lifted up and we can behold his face. So, so maybe in these moments, why don't, why don't you just receive the light of his face? for time's sake I'd love us to say this together just the first sentence really down the first three lines and then if just pause at temple there 
and we'll jump down to the last three lines, just where it says, my heart says, if you, and we'll say those parts together, okay? I'll, um, I'll lead you through, okay? After three, one, two, three. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me and do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. So just in your own heart now, just lift up your heart's desire, one thing, just refine your focus. Or just refine your focus. Just you imagine that maybe your life is you've been trying to take a picture and it's just blurred. It's just not clear. You just need to find focus. So just why don't you lift up your heart's desire to Jesus? See him and his see him in his beauty. We're going to be teaching you about over the next few weeks about how privileged we are that we can have an unfailed face to behold his glory. One thing, Jesus. One thing we desire, Lord. Lord, we're so um, we're so good at putting one more thing into our diaries of God, and, and not so good at taking some things out. So that the one thing, the main thing, would be beholding Your face, God. And God, we know we've other things that we need to attend to, family and work, and things that are important in our lives, of God. But we just want the one thing above all things of God to be beholding your face God so we lift we lift our gaze towards you God this morning we lift up our gaze towards you God God we want to make a decision as a people God that we will contend for your face God we don't want to leave this place we don't want to go another Sunday we don't want to go another day God without without making your face, God, the one thing. We just acknowledge, God, that everything that we are, that everything that we've become is shaped and formed, oh God, from looking and gazing on your beauty, who you've created us to be. And God, I pray for hearts this morning that feel the gap of not knowing that love, God, of not receiving that gaze, even in the natural, God, I pray this morning that you would pour that love into hearts, oh God, where there's coldness, oh God, where there's a hardness of heart, even God, I pray that you would pour in your love, God.